Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame. And I'm your co-host, Yusuf. And today we are here with Attila Tanner, who's doing his PhD in philosophy. So welcome, Attila. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. So tell us uh, more about yourself and how you came to be interested in philosophy to begin with. Uh, you're doing a PhD in, I, I think you said, legal and political philosophy in particular. So how did you actually uh, begin this process? Uh, so the process has been uh, a bit long time coming. Um, as you may notice, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm a senior student. I'm, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm 45 now. Uh, I'm not like you young ones over there I'm, I'm you're all looking younger than me so I, i'm assuming also the audience is probably younger than me or most of them anyway uh i began my interest in philosophy uh in my undergrad years uh at mcgill um so i studied uh philosophy for my ba uh, so you know, in Montreal at McGill between 93 and 97. Um, after that, I started a master's in philosophy at McMaster University in Hamilton. <clears throat> but for various reasons, I had to pause that. And uh, basically, uh, I went on to do law school instead. I went wow. to um, at the University of Toronto Law School. I completed my law degree there, and um, after that, I practiced law for a while. And um, unfortunately, so I had some uh, health issues that I uh, had that troubled me, and um, I basically have been on uh, on leave from from my law law work. And uh, I decided rather than just do nothing, I would go back to school. So the first thing I did was I went back and finished my master. Uh, my, yeah, my master's at McMaster. Um, and uh, then I went back and applied to PhD programs. And uh, wow. uh, I was going to go to the states i had a couple of options there um but in the end just settled on on western so um it was just what appealed the most and um it was uh yeah i i enjoyed the um the the the, the faculty uh sort of the profiles and even i found there was some compatibilities with some of the faculty members and uh Got to speak with them, and basically that's how I ended up here. So, um, you know, I've been at it now for a while. So, Attila, um, you know, the uh, some people say it's 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 not just about the destination; it's about the journey. So, I'd say yeah. you're on quite a journey here, and it's yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, uh, not, a, not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, and and in fact, um, sort of having to pause philosophy and and go into law. Um, what ended up being a good thing uh, in many ways because it gave me a perspective on philosophy from, you know, a legal perspective, as it were. For as so, it, it, and it it sort of 
forced me to think about philosophy in a different way. Um, and also, in the end, uh, going to law school sort of provided the basis for um, the the subject that I'm working on now. Um, so at, in, at the at UFT Law School, there's a kind of a half a dozen um, well-known uh, faculty members who are um, who 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 are well known in being sort of in between philosophy and law, so they teach law from a very philosophical perspective, and specifically they teach the law through the lens of of um, you know the German philosophers that I I myself am interested in because of the courses I ended up taking with them. So there are, um, for example. Uh, uh, professors like uh, Professor Ernest Ernie Weinrib is very very well known. Who teaches um, uh, private law and specifically focusing on on what's known as tort law, which is basically the law of, of negligence and 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 so on. Uh, but he teaches it through the lens of you know Kant and Hegel. So he attempts to to give uh, an explanation of you know how the law is a is a forms a kind of a coherent whole uh, and 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 has a sort of a philosophical grounding um, by you know looking at um, figures like Kant and Hegel um, and he he's able to do that primarily because as it turns out Kant and Hegel um, both taught law they, they weren't just teachers of philosophy they they, they 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 were academics themselves they also were um teachers of law as well so for of their own time so to the extent that there's actual continu continuity in the actual law um uh, laws of you know those days and today um th it makes sense that whatever philosophical spin or philosophical grounding they they were able to give to the law in at, at that time can carry over to to today, um, and um, what what I decided to 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 work on uh, in the end is sort of what I saw as something that that is missing in that whole um, area. So a lot of the areas have been covered a lot, but one that isn't and is is the environmental law, uh, and specifically, you know, any there hasn't been much effort to try to explain you know how and why it is that we have um, um, laws against uh, you know the, the activities that are destructive of, of the natural environment and so on and how do you justify having laws uh, like that and how do you um, and specifically how do you justify constraining human activities um, that that are uh, destructive of, of, of the natural environment uh, and, or conversely how do you justify laws that are that, that in, enforce the preservation of, of, of the natural world so um, that's that's roughly how it sounds like you've been influenced by a lot of uh, you know pretty prolific people uh, in, the, yeah. in Canada uh, yeah. in, in Canadian yeah. philosophers I guess yeah, yeah. Oh, they don't necessarily have to be Canadian, but they're, they work here. So Canadian now, um, yeah, what, who yeah. is your, who's your supervisor here at Western and, uh, you know, uh, what, what do they, 
what do you what specifically are you studying under their purview? So it's Professor Dennis Klimchuk and um, in the philosophy department, and uh, specifically we're, we're we're working on you know my attempts to develop this idea about how you know we can use Kant and and to a lesser extent um, Hegel, but mostly mostly Kant. Um, how we can use Kant's philosophy to, and specifically their legal and political philosophy, to um, sort of both enlighten the you know contemporary environmental law or environmental laws, as it were, uh, and uh, to perhaps you know further develop the ideas of, of, of the, that we have around um, um, environmental protection. Um, no, so, yeah, maybe maybe uh, it just occurs to me that w uh, a good way to to tease uh, apart your thoughts on this topic, maybe we could uh, entertain a hypothetical. Maybe mm -hmm. we could talk about a particular situation. So, like, yeah, maybe we could say I'm trying to think of something that's not a real issue. But let's say uh, I there was a forest uh, in Canada. Uh, if we're talking about Canadian law relevant here. And uh, I had a, a big company, uh, we'll mm -hmm. call it Shmamazon. <laughs> and uh, Shmamazon wants to build a, a like a, a 10 city block uh, factory uh, yep. for doing what Shmamazon does, whatever it does. Yep. Um, and Shmamazon uh, decides they want to level this whole area of a forest um, somewhere in like Northern, uh, Northern Ontario. Yeah. Um, what, yep. what are the arguments? Um, both philosophically and and legally, for for and against Shmamazon doing this uh, leveling of an area. Yeah. So um, so just in very broad terms, right? The the, the most basic question is: so suppose Shmamazon or you know Company S or whatever this company has purchased this land, right, and they have made it their own, right? So this land now belongs to them as their property. Uh, so the question becomes, how far do their rights as proprietors of this land extend? So how far, do, how much freedom do they have vis-a-vis uh, -vis that which they own? Um, now, we do the have CEO could just say it's my land. I'll do what I want, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, right. So uh, that's one view, right? One view is that um, property rights are are are, are extensive, and um, the proprietor uh, has a kind of you know uh, uh, has a a trump card when it comes to uh, the the agenda setting over what what is to be done with that which they own right um so they can claim that uh well you know this is this is this is literally ours and we'll do it as we please um and that uh, that you know up to um and including the destruction of that which we own right so um i mean to take your 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 um your uh the example you know in, in an even more extreme direction we can ask 
does you know somebody owning a plot of land supposing that they could do it in a way that does not affect any neighbors negatively supposing that they could somehow do it say say that they decide for whatever reason you know whether whether it's for their own economic gain or just for the kicks of it or whatever so that they 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 make it their goal to just sort of not just cut down all the trees on this land but then to just you know irradiate that plot let's say they have the square irradiate it with you know just plutonium salt, or, salt or whatever <laughs> yeah and make it uh uninhabitable for the next thousand years right uh the question is are they allowed to do that very in very very basic terms now Technically, the answer is no under our laws, under our, you know, we do have environmental protection laws um, and we do, you know, that an, a plan of, of a business plan like that is not likely to to pass various environmental assessments and so on that, 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 that businesses are subject to when they when they when they're out there working. Uh, but we're at, I'm, uh, we're asking at a more you know, general philosophical level, right? I mean, that might be the case in Canada. We have such laws that protect the environment, but but is that, you know, true across the globe? I mean, there might be other jurisdictions where uh, that that kind of protection simply does not apply. So, the, so we have to revert back to a very, you know, basic um, sort of moral slash legal slash political slash, you know, normative questions about whether or not that kind of activity is permissible or not so um what i want to say in my thesis is that the answer must be no that you, you can't you can't do that as the ceo you can't make a decision about you know taking this plot of land and just basically taking it out of circulation for the you know rest of humanity or for future generations and 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 so on, um, you can put it in all sorts of ways. But that's effectively what you know destructive activity amounts to is is tantamount to is basically you take this finite resource and you make it unavailable for use for anybody else, including yourself, right? So including so whatever in this kind of an extreme example of you know irradiating the land. Um, they are not only making it impossible for other persons to to make any future uses, but 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 they themselves are not able to use it either. So, um, so that's the first sort of layer. That's the first layer of the question. The, the next question is so. There's two ways of, of 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 saying no. You can't do that, right? The first way is by reference to how it affects other persons or other human beings um, it's the so-called anthropocentric perspective on um environmental protection okay so um and here you would have to find some way in which doing this to the land um ends up being harmful to or hurting other persons Possibly, you know, currently living persons or or future generations. You, you, you can make the arguments in all sorts of different ways. Um, the other way of 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 precluding that kind of activity is by saying that um, it's not 
about it's not about whether or not other humans are, are affected or harmed or hurt or whatever um but whether or not the thing itself which is deemed to have intrinsic value is is harmed so meaning the land itself has you know is deemed to have value independent of 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 us human beings right it, it has a value of its own therefore uh your destruction of it is is um is 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 unacceptable because well precisely for the reason stated right that, that the thing itself has has its its own special kind of value and that's called the the ecocentric perspective on environmental protectionism or and and there's all kind it comes in all kinds of flavors but there's so-called you know deep ecology and 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 all kinds of perspective but ways of looking at um the environment as something that is um that that, that has you know, independent value a value that is independent of human humans attributing it with so, value so attila i guess yeah. i was wondering um about legally um enforceable environmental protection du protectionist duties and how you related to german idealism which you're interested especially in say the works of kant for example i guess you're seeking some sort of moral justification for these legal enforcements for the environmental conservationist uh, movement, given the kind of um, environmental crisis that we face. Yeah. So yeah. how can you seek the justification from some of these philosophers you're studying? And what in particular motivated you to go on this path as well? So the, the most, um, the simplest way of putting it is that I, I believe there's a third way of looking at um, the the prohibitions on on environmentally destructive activity or or the 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 abuse of the environment or or the the unsustainable use of the environment. Right? Uh, I said as I said, there's the, an anthropocentric view, uh, right. and then there's a um, the ecocentric view uh, or or, or a, you know an ecocentric perspectives that you know can give you some prohibitions and then there's this thing that i'm trying to work on myself which is that it, it is wrong to do that because it is essentially it, it is a uh an um an unacceptable or an impermissible uh use of human freedom so it's still sort of on the anthropocentric side, more or less, but it's a, it's a little bit you know different. So, uh, um, so when you um, choose to make the choice to, for example, you know, irradiate the land that you own, you are exercising freedom in a way that is essentially self-contradictory, and that is because, to put it, it well, for for a number of reasons, but. The very first reason is that, uh, well, according to um, you know basic sort of Kantian principles of how we must look at these things. So you, you have to ask if if I, as an owner of a plot of land, am permitted to irradiate this plot of land, then all owners 
are, are, are permitted to do so. Mm-hmm, and, right. if all of, and, and if all of them are, then essentially what that means is that, we, that human beings are allowed to um, destroy that upon which we depend for our existence, which is, which is essentially, essentially it's self-contradictory. It's, it's an irrational kind of exercise of freedom and uh, hence impermissible, right? Um, that's that's like similar to the advice. I, th- I swear someone must have said to me at some point in growing up, you know, act, act to other people, uh, act to other people either like you'd like to be a- acted on as well, or act, act, act to other people um, in a way that you would be satisfied if everyone acted that way. Yes. Yeah. It's the, like a now, common trope. Like this, some famous it, it, philosopher attributed. To yeah. That? Well, well, Kant. Kant is very famous for um, having uh, for, for articulating the so-called um, universalizability test on um, uh, in moral actions. So um, the way you figure out whether or not a given course of action is is morally acceptable or not. Uh, you, is by you know subjecting the maxim, the so-called the, the the rationale of that act to uh, uh, to a test, and the test is basically to ask, you know, is to ask, well, if if is to universalize that that the rationale of your action is to, to basically say if if everybody were to be allowed to 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 act in accordance with this rationale with your rationale that you propose that is inherent in your in your action then is it a is it a logical world is it a world that we can actually make you know make sense of and 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 the answer you know when the answer is no then the action is is impermissible so um that's that's sort of the, the the gist of it. I don't rely exclusively on that argument because there's a lot more. You know, in, if we were to get into the weeds of Kant's later legal and political philosophy, there's a lot more going on. But that's sort of one the one basic way of of, of looking at it. And the the big advantage here is that what I want to say is that um, it does not rely on. Uh, the standard anthropocentric perspective, which is that rely it, it ultimately that needs somebody to to be hurt somewhere down the road. So, for example, um, uh, if we take the the standard uh, anthropocentric views, it's um, on on environmental protection. So we'd have to say, well, no, you can't, you know, irradiate and destroy your land because, you know. It will hurt. It will. It disallows human generation, uh, future generations, from from using it, um, or it hurts the neighbors in one way or another. Right. Um, the problem with that kind of a view is that, well, um, say with respect to neighbors, suppose that that, that you couldn't that, that there's no way that you would be able to irradiate just your plot of land without affecting anybody around there, any of the neighbors. Right. Well, you could just go to the neighbors as it is now, as as laws are set up now, unfortunately, and you could just ask them, you know, for for their consent to for you to do what you're about to do, and you could pay them off if essentially, right? You could say, "I'll give you, um, you know, X dollars for you to, you know, suffer some degree of of harm." Um, so then, uh, the question 
for me is then, okay, so here they, they've consented. So what's the problem, right? So, well, exactly. What, what is the problem? So, so there's got to be something wrong with that as well. So it's not only a question of why any given, you know, landowner uh, cannot do that to, to that which they own, but also why those around the landowner cannot um, consent to that to, to that kind of activity, right? So, so yeah, I guess um, so. So you want to focus more on some of the non-utilitarian motivations for environmental protectionist uh, movements. Um, and that, that's fascinating. I think most people, well, some people are not uh, maybe motivated by purely utilitarian impulses when it comes to these things. And I think that's also important and um, uh, something that we can focus on as well. Now, I was yeah. wondering, how, how do you relate some of your research with some of the activist movements as well? Take, for example, Greta uh, Thunberg, I'm not sure how mm -hmm. to pronounce her name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what do you? How do you see her impact as well? Uh, she might use shame as a tool for um, creating awareness that might be indispensable for some of these things as well. So tell us more about um, that. I don't think that what I'm doing uh, immediately speaks to uh, environmental activism, but it, but it's it's compatible with it. Um, okay. And uh, it, it is perfectly compatible with it, I th it, it as far as I, I'm concerned. So it does not depend on the existing. So actually, strictly speaking, um, my entire thesis does not even depend on there being an actual crisis. Like you know, if you if you if you're still right, a skeptic right. about uh, you know uh, if you're still a skeptic about uh, climate change or whatever. You can be that fine. Then all the, the you know the exercise just reverts to a kind of a hypothetical exercise. Then you know, um, should we ever you know be in a position to to affect the the climate in such a way or the environment in such a way, in such a negative way? You know, are are we allowed to? Uh, and because the the default answer so often is that you know we do the freedom, real freedom, really really means that you know. Freedom means that we can destroy that which is, you know, around us because ultimately the environment is seen as this sort of a, you know, spiritually and morally inert space that we can just act on uh, that does not have any sort of moral implications, immediate moral implications. That's apart from ecocentric points of view, of course. Mm -hmm. But the standard view is that you know, uh, the environment is just this, this, this morally inert um space that we can just you know act upon and do as we will um and going back to you know certain older jurisprudence from 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 the uh, 18th or 17th centuries and so on there's a famous um uh philosopher or, or of law uh, or he's he was also a juris a jur he's a philosopher of jurisprudence, basically, who claimed that, you know, property rights endow you with the right to do with your property as you will, entire, you know, up to and including burning, you know, if you own your house, you can burn it down because it's yours. I mean, that's the kind of, the he's the, you know, Blackstonian view of, of what property is. And that kind of a view has, it's, it's diminishing, it's becoming less and less, but, um, 
it's still there. It still lurks in the background of a lot of our actual laws. Uh, because uh, in the end, I mean, if what this, our scientists are telling us is correct, what, 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 there, there's only two options, right? We're destroying the environment, right? We're, we're either, you know, whether you look at climate change and that's a kind of a, a misuse of our climate, uh, or whether it's a, a phenomena like desertification or species extinction uh, or, or whatever. It's, it's taking a finite a, natu uh, a natural world and overusing it and using it beyond its capacity. Uh, that's what our scientists, is, as far as I can tell, are telling us is actually happening. And the question then becomes is there's only two ways in which that could be happening. One is that it's happening against currently existing laws, right? Uh, laws, whether in any given jurisdiction or sort of laws across the world in, in all jurisdictions taken together. Uh, it's either happening against those laws, which I doubt, I don't think, or it's happening in conjunction or, or it, it, there are, are laws taken together collectively, you know, that the laws that we place ourselves under, you know, as, as, as humanity as a whole, as it were, unfortunately, the, the, the answer has to be that they, they allow, they allow this, this kind of activity to happen in one way or another. And what I want to say is that, so just as we must look at, you know, the individual property owner and uh, what kind of restrictions they're subject to. Um, so we must look at, you know, the state, any given state or, you know, government, as it were, and uh, what kind of restrictions they are bound by with respect to the territory over which they have jurisdiction, right? Um, that's the, the next level up. And what I want to argue is that, that the state is constrained much for much the same, in much the same way and for much the same reasons that individuals are constrained from, from destroying that which they own. Um, and at the higher, higher level is, 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 you know, if you take humanity as a whole, um, you know, we, we can neither act in, uh, in a way that is destructive of nature or consent to others acting in ways that are destructive of nature. Again, because, you know, collectively, we humanity as a whole uh, are 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 deemed to be not necessarily not per se owners per se of the earth, but we are. And this is going back to um, philosophy thinking of philosophers such as Grotius and Pufendorf and uh, Kant, Verso, um, uh, who's who've described it as humanity is an original possession in common of the earth, right. and just. By by mere by that fact alone, plus the fact that the Earth is a finite is a finite space, con, um, containing finite resources, uh, means that any actions that are destructive of it in, is what I'm trying to argue. Uh, um, actions that are destructive of it are, are are ultimately irrational and impermissible from the standpoint of you know the Kantian and Hegelian ideas of freedom of what it means to be free. So freedom is essentially a self-constraining idea. It's not, it, it is not an, it is not an, an expansive idea uh, that encompasses. So maybe maybe yeah. that's a good note to leave it on. Freedom is not a self-constraining okay. idea. Uh, or is, is, is a self-constraining oh, idea. Freedom, 
is a self constraining yeah. idea. It shows how right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. The opposite, we also yeah. have a freedom to be wrong, like I am <laughs> so frequently. <laughs> but uh, sorry, you know, sorry, uh, it, it, yeah. I'm sure we could talk about this all day. And I yeah. hope that people continue to have this discussion so that we can get to the bottom of the matter. Um, uh, you know, whether it be an active role as an activist or a, or a philosopher's role uh, yeah. that informs yeah. the activists as to what, what direction is to go. That's, yeah. uh, it's really helpful to have, uh, you know, deep yeah. thinkers like yourself. Right. So yeah. uh, Attila, yeah. we're just at the end of the show here. If you could just yeah. maybe quickly tell people how they could find you on the interwebs, uh, website, social media wise, if they want to, you know, to engage yeah. with you more or find out what you're up to. Yeah, so the, the easiest way is just to find me on the academia.edu uh, website. It's where I have posted all my uh, publications and including, I've included my, my MA thesis, which is a kind of a preliminary attempt at, at, at making all these arguments. Um, so it's, uh, it's just uh, western.com. Academia.edu backslash Attila Tanner, but um, even if you even if you just Google my name, which is my name is so unique, that is probably one of the first things that will come up. Um, I, yeah. I also have a, a a personal page on photography that I haven't kept up for a long time, which <laughs> I need to. Yeah, but 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 that also has links to the Academia page and so on. Um, so that's the easiest way, and my email is available there, and I'm happy to, um, in, you know, either answer questions or I'm, I'm happy to also get input on uh, from anybody else out there that is working on similar sure. lines or and so on. I'd be happy we'll, to. We'll put uh, we'll put those links in the synopsis so people can find it quite easily, or like you said, Google it. That's so right. thanks yeah. again. Um, thanks for coming on the show, Attila. It's been great. Thank you. Having you. Thank you for having. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This Thanks. has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Ariel Frame. My co-host was Yusuf Hassan. We've been speaking with Attila Attainer, and this episode was produced by Laura Baina. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter all the social media spots that are hot nowadays at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us uh, we're available on the radio, 94.9 FM. You can also find all our episodes on our website, gradcast.ca, and podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, Spotify. Super hot. Everyone's listening on Spotify now. Alternatively, we have <laughs> podcasts on uh, on YouTube with video, video components. Uh, that's at, at Gradcast Radio. So that's easy. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, have a great night.